am continuing uh, a series that I've done on what it means to proclaim the good news, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people and to have them experience God in their lives. And our, our text has been Mark, the 16th chapter, where Jesus was getting ready just before he ascended into heaven. As we just said together on our Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven. Just before he did this, he looks at his disciples and he tells them this. He says, I want, I want you guys to go into all the world and I want you to preach the good news, the gospel, to all creation. Now, what does that mean? Now, it's more than just saying the right words. Now, it does involve talking to people. You've got to be able to talk to people. And the Bible says that you have to be ready to give an answer for when people ask you why you believe in what you believe and, and that kind of thing. But make no mistake, at the end of the day, Christianity is not advanced by debate and by argument and being able to outwit the other guy who comes at you with all kinds of fancy questions and stuff like that or, or something really smart or cool. A lot of times people say, you know, what can I say to get this person to come to church? Or what can I say to get this person? You know, well, quite frankly, there's not a whole lot you can say. All right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, what Christianity is about is about God himself using you to touch other people's lives. And that's what we saw in the gospel. Certainly we saw it in Jesus' life and say, well, yeah, well, that was Jesus. But now check it out. He turns to his disciples and said, now you go and tell everybody. So he goes into heaven, and now these guys go, as we've been seeing the last few weeks, everywhere they went, they were splashing God all over the place. And I mean, people were experiencing God and experiencing miracles. They were praying for people. They were ministering to people who wanted to be ministered to. And they were ministering to people who didn't ask to be ministered to. They were praying for people who never asked for any prayer. And yet God would change them and do miracles in their lives. People, oftentimes, who didn't believe anything. They weren't believers. You don't have to be a baptized, born-again believer in Jesus Christ before God will move in your life. God will move in an absolute pagan unbeliever's life. And I wish it was great fun because it freaks them out. All right? Now, so Christianity is spreading like crazy because this is going on and God's touching people's lives and everybody's going, what is going on? You know, because it's one thing when, you know, Christianity isn't just religion. If, you're, if your version of Christianity is you just come in and God's a million miles away and you kind of hope he pays attention to you, and, you know, that's not real Christianity. Christianity is God with us, God living, and you experiencing God in your life. This is why the gospel spread so fast because it wasn't about theology and it wasn't about argument or we had some great new twist on religion it was that God was actually touching people's lives so the gospel's spreading like crazy but then some resistance comes along and persecution starts coming on the early church and it starts with a guy by the name of Saul who is mean as a rattlesnake at this point he hates Christians he hates Christianity doesn't think much about it at all but he's he is a highly intelligent man, about as highly educated as you can possibly get in his day. Uh, knows several languages, knows the law, knows, I mean, he, he is one. And he knew the Bible better than any Christian who came to try and convince him. Well, you ever run into, you ever wonder, what do you do when you get someone who's really highly educated? They have all these great, you know, you know, talks and, and spins and they kind of turn things around on you, you know, because they're just so good with their arguments and stuff. You think, man, how do you get a hold of someone like that? What can I say? People say, what can I say to them? It's not about you saying anything to them. It's about you praying for them, you about loving them, you about asking God to move in their life and for God to reveal themselves. Because at the bottom of the, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, if God does not reveal himself to a person, there's nothing you can do. 
Now, it might be in a dramatic way. It might be just a small, still voice while they're sitting there listening to a preacher like me. But at some point, God makes himself real to someone and starts moving in their lives. That's what real Christianity is about. And we see this in the life of Saul. Now, this is chapter 9 in the book of Acts. Now, Saul had just been part of uh, killing the first Christian and was out there uh, persecuting the Christians. And he says, meanwhile, Saul was breathing, uh, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was having such a good time with it. He went to the high priest and asked for him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He wanted to actually take his little show on the road. He wanted to go find people in other cities so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, talking about Christianity, whether men or women, he didn't care, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here this man is creating havoc and hell in people's lives who called on the name of Jesus. This rascal by the name of Saul. How do you get through to a guy like Saul? Again, you can't argue with them. You can't debate with them. But you can pray for them. And as these believers, if there was one thing they learned from Jesus, this is what? To pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Well, Saul, he's at the top of the list here. He's out there hurting everybody, so I bet he's got all kinds of people praying for him. So we see this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground, and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul has no idea who this is. He doesn't connect the dots. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't think Jesus is anything. He thinks Christianity is some weird thing. Saul, why are you persecuting me? He looks up, and he says, who are you? And, he, and the voice answers, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, this had to fry Saul at this point, because Saul is no fan of Jesus at this point. Suddenly, Jesus knocks him to the ground. His voice speaks to him, and Jesus tells him to get up, go into the city, and eventually Saul converts to Christianity. They change his name from Saul to Paul, and this highly intelligent, educated man winds up writing the bulk of the New Testament. We call him Paul the Apostle. And uh, he goes everywhere now, and he starts sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there was anybody who really knew how to debate, it would have been Paul. You think, wow, now we got a really cool speaker here. I mean, this guy, he knows it all. He's smart, he's sharp, he knows the Bible like nobody and highly educated. Now he'll be able to just go, talk everybody into Christianity. And while he does have brilliant words, as you can read them in the New Testament, even in Paul's life, it wasn't because he was a slick talker or because he had such great argument that caused the gospel to be preached or, or just spread all over the place. It's that as he went around sharing the good news in his brilliant way, and some people were brilliant like him, some were terrible. They didn't, they didn't really have the words, you know, don't, don't think, gee, gee, because I can't talk like somebody else, you know, that I can't do this. It didn't matter. Because the same God would show up in people's lives and change people's lives. And when Paul was doing his thing, ultimately what was amazing is God would touch people's lives and miracles would happen and things would happen. And, and again, this is why the Christianity kept spreading. Well, we pick up the story here now in Acts, the 16th chapter. Saul and uh, Paul, Paul and Silas now are out there preaching the gospel. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, this is a, a, a girl who would fall into trances. She was basically possessed of a spirit that enabled her to know things about people and to see things and, and make projections and, and stuff like that. But she wasn't, uh, you know, just, 
you know, someone who had cool ESP or something. This is a woman who's possessed of a spirit. And I'm sure she was quite miserable as Satan torments people. He doesn't bless them. Uh, she was a slave on top of it. And she made a lot of money for her owners by fortune telling. So the guys loved having this girl around because when people would come to get their fortunes, they'd charge them a lot of money and she knew things about them. Again, but she's tormented. She's possessed by spirit. Uh, probably not a whole lot of control over what she's doing. But anyway, this girl follows Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you how to get saved. I get the picture here. Paul is out there and they're sharing the gospel. They're talking to people. And this girl who's possessed of the spirit is going around. And I'm sure she wasn't saying it nicely. You know, like, these men are servants of the Most High God. Okay. I'm sure she was going around going, these men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. Now, this would get highly irritating. All right. Now, you know, if I was everywhere I preached, there was some wacko following me going, this man is an idiot, or whatever I am, you know. This, this would get pretty irritating after a while. Well, it says here that she kept this up for many days. Shows you the patience of Paul. I'd have been going nuts after about an hour and a half. Finally, Paul becomes so troubled. He's irritated by this woman. And he knew what was going on. There was a spirit in this woman tormenting this woman. And he turns around and he sets her free. Now remember, this woman is not asking for prayer. She's not asking to be a believer in Jesus. She's not asking anything. She's just going around being tormented by the spirit and making them miserable. Again, you don't have to have someone willing to receive from God before God will touch their lives. That's the cool thing about Christianity. Christianity is really a pretty aggressive Religion. I mean, it's, it's, it's on the offensive. It's not a defensive thing. A lot of people think, well, before people can have miracles, they have to come to Jesus in faith, and they have to be baptized, and they have to become committed Christians, and learn about the Bible, and grow in their faith, and then God will do great things in their lives. No! God will move in people's lives who don't even believe in him, or even want to believe in him, as we keep seeing over and over again in these accounts. So anyway, he turns around. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. So boom, the spirit leaves her. So she's set free. And I'm sure for the first time in her life, this little person is free of the spirit that had been tormenting her. And peace comes into her heart. And life comes into her soul. But the owners of the slave girl, when they realized that their hope of making money was gone, now they're ticked off. And make no mistake, not everybody who sees God moving is going to be happy about it. Not everybody who's going to see God doing things in people's lives are going to celebrate with you. There are some people who will come against you and make things harder on you when they see God moving. You have to remember, there were lots of people who saw Jesus do great miracles. The people who orchestrated the crucifixion of Christ did so because they saw so many miracles in his life. Remember we were talking about the miracle where he raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, this guy had been dead for three days. He pulls him and raises him from the... I mean, that's pretty impressive. You know, he wasn't just passed out for a couple of hours. This guy was dead, dead, super dead. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And this guy comes hopping out of the tomb and everybody just freaks. Wow! Well, the guys who hated Jesus saw him do these things. And that particular event was the straw that broke the camel's back when they saw him do that. Then they decided, we got to kill him. We've got to... Not everybody is going to celebrate the move of God 
in your life. In fact, sometimes the more God moves in your life and you think, man, people, I'll be more blessed than ever. Well, actually, things will get harder on you. Not exactly good news, but it's just the reality. And that's certainly what happened to Paul here. As soon as they found this out, they take Paul and Silas and they drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They basically arrest them and they trumped up some charges. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing the city into an uproar. They're telling us to do things that are unlawful for Romans to do, which was not true. And they're breaking the law, by the way, by arresting Paul, who was a Roman citizen. They didn't know it at the time. We won't read the whole thing here, but what they were doing was completely wrong. Well, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. I mean, this girl had gotten set free. People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. But the people in large didn't care about that, and they came as enemies against Paul and Silas. So the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Now, getting beaten is a bad day. Getting stripped and beaten is a really bad day. All right, this is humiliating. So he takes them, and then he had them severely flogged. Again, being flogged is bad. Severely flogged is really bad. So they're seriously beat up. Now, we're talking 2,000 years ago. This wasn't, you know, a slap on the wrist. They flogged these guys, turned them around, tied them up, took whips, and just ripped into their backs. Ow! Then they take them, and they throw them into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, they put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet at the, in the stocks. Now, we're, talk, we're not talking county lockup here. All right? We're talking prisons 2,000 years ago. They were not nice places. Okay? They smelled. It was disgusting. It was dark. The conditions were unbelievable. And they get thrown into this prison. Not just in the prison, but they got thrown into the deepest part of the prison by this jailer. Now, you would think if there's anybody at this point who has a right to bellyache and complain, it's Paul and Silas. I mean, they'd been doing everything right. They'd been serving God. They did the right thing. Pastor, I did everything you said to do. My life's gotten worse. What's wrong? That's exactly what happened to these guys. Here, where's God? God's supposed to be blessing us. We were just sharing. We set these people free, and all of a sudden, now they're beating us up. They are in pain. They are in agony. They're thrown into this smelly dungeon, and at midnight... The Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas were going, <laughs> why me? Why me? My 401k's down. <laughs> I don't understand it. What's wrong? Where is God in my life? Is that what it says? No. It says they were praying and singing hymns to God. At midnight on the worst day of their lives, they are singing and celebrating God, praising God when they should have, in everybody else's mind, be cursing God. And the Bible says all the other prisoners were listening to them. And make no mistake, people, people are watching you when you get thrown into prison. People are watching you when things go south in your life. And trust me, just because you're a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to get tested. Sometimes things will, you'll have really hard times, and God has not abandoned you. It's a time of testing to see what you're going to do about it. And make no mistake, people around you are watching how you react when you lose your job, when things aren't going well in your life, when you were hoping for the best and instead the worst happens. How do you respond? Well, these guys were praising God in the midst of trying times, and it says everybody was listening to them. Then I love this. 
They're singing songs. I don't know what song they were singing. Maybe it had a beat. And the angels were boogieing. And one of them bounces too hard. And suddenly there's a violent earthquake. And the foundations of the prison were shaken. And it all at once, the prison doors pop open. And everyone's chains came loose. <laughs> I love that. Everybody got free. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't just Paul and Silas. Everybody around them got free. And I'll tell you, you start really getting free, it'll set people free all around you. But you need to walk in that freedom. And a lot of people that come to church, they're kind of like, you know, on a prison release program. You know, we have, you know what I'm talking about? We got some guys that come to church, you know, uh, from one of the prisons locally, and they let them come to church. And, uh, and they get to sit in the service and stuff. But then when they go back, they got to go back into prison. That's where a lot of people are. They're in a prison release program. They come to church and they get free. And they praise God and they celebrate. And they connect with God and they worship. And they have a great time in here. But you walk out and it's like you just say, okay, chain me back up. Put me back in the same sins again. The same discouragement. The same frustrations again. The same fears and paranoias. Man, chain me back up till next Sunday. Then you walk back in the door and they unchain you, come in here and woo, yeah, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. As soon as you walk back out again, chain me back up. The same fear, same paranoia, same sins. Man, don't be like that. Get free and stay free. Because once you get free out there, that's when it's going to set other people free. Because it's easy to praise God in church. Man, this is, you know, if you can't praise God in here, what makes you think you're going to praise God out there? If you can't get happy in here, what makes you think you're going to be happy out there? If you can't get celebrating in a church environment like at, 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 a, at your campus, and what makes you think when you get away from that and you're around people who curse God all day long, and full of bitterness and lust and all sorts of hateful thoughts, what makes you think you're going to be free there if you can't do it here? we got to walk in this freedom, man, all the time. Don't just leave here and fall back in the same stuff over and over again. Paul said, Lynn, lay aside the weights and the sins that keep tripping you up and run the race. That's what we got to do. But I love this. Earthquake comes and shakes everything up. Praise God. People say to me, I just had a sweet lady just before the service, before I came in here to preach. I'm working with this person. How do I get through to him? How do I get through to him? Well, there's not anything you can do. There's nothing you can say. But what you can pray is God will send an earthquake. Come on. Shake it up. Shake it up. You say, well, you mean have things go wrong in their life? And that's what it takes. Shake it up. Because when things start shaking, suddenly people get very religious. When the earthquake starts coming. When things are falling. And we see here. Man, the jailer woke up, saw the prison doors open, drew his sword. He's about to kill himself because he didn't want to get tortured for letting these prisoners go. But Paul said, don't harm yourself, we're here. And the jailer rushed in and falls trembling before Paul and Silas and says, what do I have to do to get saved? Now, this is the jailer, the head jailer. Now you got to remember, the guys who got these jobs probably didn't get them because they're really nice guys. You know what I'm saying? They probably didn't say, you know, Bob's a nice guy. Let's put him in charge of the jail. He's got that warm, fuzzy thing going. You know what I'm saying? This is 2,000 years ago. I'm sure they look for men who are mean as rattlesnakes. Hard-hearted. 
probably took delight in the pain and suffering of others. They say, now he, this guy would make a good jailer. This tough, hardened man, suddenly, and he doesn't know jack about nothing, man. I mean, he's, all, he's, he's not going to church. He's a jailer. All of a sudden, an earthquake comes, and he's ready for Jesus. Hallelujah. Sometimes, man, you need to pray earthquakes into people's lives. Say, God, do whatever you got to do to get people's attention. See, you can't, there's an old saying, you can't, you can lead a horse to water. Say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So what do you do? You put salt in his oats. <laughs> you change the circumstances, baby. He'll drink soon enough. You pray God put some salt in their oats, shake them up, rattle their cages, changes their perspective. Don't be afraid to do that, man. Pray God move in people's lives around you. I don't care if it's your own kids. I remember when, back when my son was 16 or 17 years of age, he'd been raised in the church, certainly around Deb and I and, uh, you know, our family. And these kids, man, they, 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 cut their teeth on the back of some church chair, you know. They were, they were in services with us all the time. But when he got about 16, 17, he discovered some amazing new thing that boys about that age discover. Girls. <laughs> Started becoming interested in the girls around him. Not Christian girls, but little pagan girls. And challenging him, and I, I got concerned. I got concerned. I, mean, I always pray for my kids every day, pray for them, fast and pray for my kids every week. The whole time they were growing up. Pray God to protect them, do it. But I, I remember getting up that morning and I knew it was earthquake time. And I prayed to God, I said, Father, whatever you got to do, do whatever you got to do to get his attention. And I knew what that meant. And I released him into God's hand. I said, God, get his attention. Well, that night about 11.30 or so, my wife had been asleep for maybe a half hour, so also the phone rings. I said, hello. Phil goes, Dad? Yes? I totaled the car. You totaled the car? Yeah. Phil, do you know what it means to total a car? I think so. <laughs> Are you hurt? No. I thought, well, he didn't total the car, the nitwit. <laughs> so I woke up, my wife said, come on. He totaled the car, he says. It was an accident in my BMW. Couldn't have been driving the van that night. I wouldn't have cared about the van. He's in the Beamer. I figured he went off the road and smacked into a tree or something. Well, we went out to where he said this happened. We got out there. You could see the screech in the street and the plowing through the, through the road, off to the side of the road on the field, and he smashed through a tree. Busted it to bits, a smaller tree, but just nonetheless a pretty strong tree. Wound up in the middle of the field, and the car was just crumpled like an accordion. The minute we saw it, our knees buckled out from underneath us. Oh, my gosh. 
the steering wheel completely smashed. And I mean, you, you, it's the kind of thing you look in and you expect to see dead people in. I thought, oh my gosh, he, he did total it. So he told us he was at the emergency room. So we went to the emergency room and went in there. And he's standing there. He's fine. Not, he had a little tiny scratch right about here. That was it. Didn't have a seatbelt on. Completely smashed. I mean, the fact that he would have walked out of there with not so much as a thing was just a miracle in and of itself. Now, the pagan girls he had with him didn't fare so well. They got beat up pretty bad. One needed surgeries to repair some damage and stuff. But he came out with just so much as a nick. Didn't, he didn't need stitches, just had a little band-aid. That was it. They gave him an Advil. That's all he had. And I remember looking at him, and I says, Phil, you need to ask yourself a question. Was God trying to get your attention tonight? And he looked at me with big old eyes. Next morning in church, he was rededicating his life to Jesus. And has been serving God ever since. He's one of our pastors over on the west side. Hatfield. You say, well, pastor, would you want your kid to get in an accident if that's what it took? If that's what it took, absolutely. Next time, I'll drive the van. <laughs> I don't care. I'd give up 100 BMWs. Whatever earthquake it takes, man, pray. Now, I'm not talking about just go out and pray disaster on people. I'm just saying just whatever it takes. You don't know what it'll take. But God knew what it would take for this guy. They got his attention. This guy comes running down, falls on his knees, and cries out, what do I have to do to get saved? And he shares the gospel with them. We see this again and again and again throughout the New Testament. Uh, we'll go ahead and have the ushers come at this time. The different campuses get ready to uh, serve communion. The musicians can come. Look, at the end of the day, I know, uh, we, what, it's three or four weeks that we've been talking into this, but I just want to take you, as, wanted to be taking you through the scriptures so you could see that ultimately the preaching of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel was the result of people experiencing God. Let me encourage you. Be the kind of people that are quick to pray. Let that be the mark of people that attend this church. You know, there's people that are quick to fly off the handle and get mad. There's people that are quick to just get irritated. There's people that are quick to get all fearful and worry and panicking about everything. You know, if the rain so much as comes, they're afraid of hurricanes coming or something. I mean, people are quick to go off in all sorts of different directions. I'll tell you what we ought to be quick to do is quick to pray. Quick to pray and ask God to move in our lives, in our families' lives, in the lives of the people around us. Pray and look for opportunities. Say, God, give me opportunities to spread this good news with the people that I come in contact with. Look for people that are hurting. Look for people that are in need. Look for people maybe that are resistant and stuff, and you got to pray, God, send an earthquake this boy's way, whatever it takes to get their attention. But pray for people. And when people start experiencing the power of God, that's when lives get changed. This is not about religion. We don't care about religion. This isn't about coming in here and going through a bunch of forms and rituals and walking out the same way that you walked in. I'm not interested in that. That's just religion. A lot of them put Christianity in front of it, but it's still just a religion. I'm talking about real Christianity, where God shows up, where God is moving in people's lives, where you're experiencing the Almighty.
That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, have you experienced this? Are you experiencing God in your life? You say, well, I'm a nice guy. I'm not so bad. You know, I go to church twice a year whether I need it or not. You know, I'm okay. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I don't care if you go to church every Sunday. Just sitting in a church doesn't make you a real Christian. Any more than sitting in the garage will turn you into a car. You have to experience God. Have you done that? I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads with me in a word of prayer. And If you've never really experienced God in your life, if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong and put your faith in Jesus, as we pray this prayer together, you can experience God. You can take your first steps of faith today. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I want to experience you. Amen.